Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey, sponsored by Radix Nutrition. Coming up, Max Key. I was like, I'm in the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life, and I'm miserable. But it was it was so confusing for me, because I always thought depression was like, you sat in your bed, and it was dark, and you couldn't get out, and that was my idea of depression. But I wasn't feeling like that. But I just wasn't happy ever. Nothing was bringing you the joy that it should have. No, I just felt numb about everything. Max Key is a household name in New Zealand and a person that most people probably have an opinion on. This conversation will either change your mind or reinforce what you already think about Max Key. Either way, Max said he doesn't care and I genuinely believe him. Max was 13 years old in 2008 when his dad, John Key, became the Prime Minister of New Zealand. A job that meant every single teenage misstep Max made was played out in the public eye. This podcast, recorded towards the end of 2022, was Max's first ever podcast. We talk about so much stuff. The surreal situation of your dad being the leader of a country, perks of being the Prime Minister's son, his reputation as being a bratty party boy, his mental health and the rock-bottom moment that happened during his OE, then the road to recovery, his judo journey, his relationship with running, and much, much more. Thanks so much to the legends at Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. Check them out online radixnutrition.co.nz that's R-A-D-I-X they have so many incredible products made in the Waikato and shipped to the world Uh, my favourite of their range is the protein powder which I swear by my two favourite flavours coconut and banana but don't take my word for it check them out for yourself that's radixnutrition.co.nz R-A-D-I-X alright let's get into it Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Max Key Runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners Only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Uh, fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Uh, just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Max Key. G'day, mate. How's it going? Going great. Uh, by the way, um, thank you very much. Um, you're dressed almost as the same colours as my neon sign. Yeah, thank you. I got the memo <laughs> on that one. So, I appreciate it. How are you? How are you today? I'm good. Very good. Yeah. Yep. Working hard. Cool. Uh, how old are you now? What are you, 27? 27. Yeah. Because I was thinking about you there. How old were you when, you when your dad became Prime Minister? When we first saw you on stage with yeah, the, 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 the big wide eyes... In front of the cameras for the yeah. first time, looking really startled. How old were you then? Um, I was year nine, so I think I was 14, 13 right. or 14. Right. Do you, do you have much memory of that? What do you What do you remember about that moment? First, first of all, what do you remember about the, like the lead-up before that? So, you know, your dad's successful in business. You find out he's running for prime minister. What, what does that mean to you as a 12, 13-year-old? Um, I guess it's like anything. I kind of, when you're 12, you don't really understand the gravity of anything and you know, he'd always talked about being prime minister and it was always something he'd like really wanted to do. And ever since I can remember, so we moved back to New Zealand when I was year three and he became the um, national party. Oh, he became a member of the national party then for Helensville. So pretty much since I can remember, he was always in parliament. So for me, I guess I just grew up with it. So it didn't feel that weird or that big. And 
I guess but it, it, yeah, I suppose what I mean is like you can't sort of understand what it means exactly. Like, oh, I had no wants idea. to be prime minister. Nah, and it was it literally wasn't until I have a very clear memory of I was like twenty, I think, and we went. It was my final trip that I did with Dad as prime minister, and we went to um, China on an official trip. And I'd gone there like four or five times before, and it was the first time we were sitting in the Great Hall of the People. I'm pretty sure with the Chinese prime minister, and I remember sitting there, and you know, we're with some like very established people in the Chinese government and, you know, all of dad's team. It was the first time I sat there and I was like, wow, I've literally been learning about this guy in economics at uni. And I was sitting there going like, it was the first time ever. I was like, whoa, like, because, you know, when you're 12 to 20, you just grow up with it. You know, it all felt in a weird way, quite normal. Like, I guess when we got rid of the security, um, you know, that felt weird for me. Whereas, well, that's right, because you, you had cops living on um, in a camper van on your driveway. Yeah, for 24-7 for like 10 years of my life. So for me, when they left, it, it was weird, because for me, like, I grew up with it all, whereas I think for my parents and my sister, they were a bit older, so I think all of that felt quite weird to them, whereas for me, I, I just got so accustomed to it. Like, none of it felt weird, it just kind of felt like that, that was just how it always was, if yeah, that makes sense. Were there... Were there, what, what sort of you look back now and what sort of like awesome perks were there like did you like did you meet the queen I've, I've saw some photos of you with the all blacks and things like that yeah i mean the really cool things like uh during the world cup final in 2011 we got to go to the changing room like after they won and that was epic you know it was like a 15 year old that was like the coolest thing ever i suppose you could just say to your dad like oh i want to meet that that person you know someone's in town say oh, i don't know Usher's in town. You can say, Dad, can we meet Usher? And you can probably make it happen. You probably could. I mean, I just, <laughs> I feel like none of us ever, like, abused the privilege. Right. Like, you know, there were always stories going around that people would be like, oh, Max Key said, do you know who I am? But I just never did that. Like, I I feel like my whole family felt quite, not embarrassed by it, but almost anything that could have been a perk, we tried to, like... Steer clear. I suppose you have to, don't you? Because yeah, well, just otherwise like you're a, seen as almost abusing the power in a way. Sort of, yeah, and... I just think there'd be things that, like, I would find really embarrassing. Like, say he picked me up from school and, you know, the police would be outside and and pull up right out front and I'd be like, oh, God. Whereas some people go, oh, you're so lucky you get this. Whereas in my head at the time, I didn't see a lot of the perks as perks. And to me... Of course not. Yeah, like... You just want to be normal, I guess, and fit in. I guess, yeah. And I think the hard thing was everyone would see stuff like the World Cup or when we met the Queen. But to me, I only got to see my dad every three weeks and... You know, he constantly got beat up in the media and at the end of the day, like, people might disagree with what he did and his policies and, you know, it's politics, you know, you're going to have polarising, you know, opinions on you. Oh, of course, yeah. But for me, like, it's hard seeing when people feel like that and so I would have traded any of the perks to Mm. not have to go through all that stuff. Yeah, man, there's there's so much of that that I want to get into. Um, especially the fake news stuff involving you, like people's, Max Key, do you know who I am? I, I want to yeah. get into all of that, but first of all, I want to, I want to go, want to go, want to go right back. So, you, were, were you born in New Zealand or the UK? No, I was born in Singapore. Singapore, yeah. really, random. Yeah, is that where your dad was working at the time? Yeah, he'd been there for like eight months, right. and then I got born, and then we were there for probably a year and a little bit, right? And then we moved to London, and I was there for five years, and then we came back to Sydney for a year, and then to New Zealand. Wow. And so, so, I mean, you don't know you don't know any, anything different. So, I don't know. This is probably a dumb question that you can't even answer. But what was it like being like brought up in, in like a rich family? No, no, not rich, rich. I think when your dad became prime minister, he, the paper said he was worth like fifty million, and so Elon Musk wouldn't even bend over to pick that up no. off the street. But it's a it's a lot of money. It's, yeah. Like like good upbringing, nice upbringing. 
Well, like, did you, when did you realize you were from a, like a wealthy family? I know this probably sounds really bad, but not until I was probably like 20. <laughs> oh, get out! No, because get out. I think mum and dad, you know, both were raised in state homes and they had really tough upbringings. And so I obviously lived in a nice house and went on nice holidays, but mum and dad never like handed me cash. Like, you know, I worked at McDonald's for four years, like when dad was prime minister, you know, I was always hustling to like try and make my own money. And I think I was very much like wanting to do my own thing in the world. And, you know, mum and dad... Yeah, they always looked after me and provided me and gave me good education. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like I was anyway struggling, you know, in that sense of the word. But mum and dad weren't the kinds of parents where they just flicked us cash. And if I went, oh, mum, I want a PS5, that, you know, I never had a console. You had to wait till Christmas. Even then, you yeah. know, like they, yeah. they just weren't the kinds of parents that just handed us everything. And I'm really, at the time, you know, it sucked because I did go to, you know, like Kings in a nice school. And there were lots of kids that got treated like that. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So, because I was thinking from from my perspective, so I was um, I was um, growing up in Palmer's North in the eighties, and it's like I'd go to a friend's place, and I'd, I'd I could tell the friend was richer than me because they had like appliances that I didn't have, like a VHS or a, a microwave or whatever, or nicer after school snacks. Yeah. But did, see, did you ever do that? You went to your friend's place, and you're like, oh, they don't have as nice a fridge as us. <laughs> but see, now, nah, but see, the thing you got to remember is that whole period where you're like cognitive enough to notice that dad was prime minister and so he didn't even have a car and we did nothing flashy because his whole tenure as prime minister there was this whole criticism that he was really rich and he didn't understand other people so during that period they never spent money like we never did anything lavish you know obviously the house was really nice but they bought that in 2004 way before yeah no i remember your dad like before he became prime minister um saying he was donating all his prime ministerial salary yeah, to charity so- it's do you, do you feel like the tide's changing because i know exactly what you're saying and it was like um i feel like there's two two camps of people there's a smaller camp of people that are like shit this guy's done well for himself he'll be a good prime minister yeah. and then there's a whole lot of other people like oh god he's done well for himself fuck him yeah i, think that's <laughs> I feel just- like it's swinging a bit though don't you more towards the positivity side of things than the tall poppy or not so much I mean, I think tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand is really bad. Um, you're constantly, it's, I think it's the one industry where it's very, very difficult to make people like you. Oh, impossible. Even look yeah. at um, the situation now with um, Jacinda Ardern. Like, she went from being the most loved and, and respected Prime Minister, and everyone turns on you eventually in eventually. politics, don't they? When I think, and that's why I think Dad timed leaving at a really good time. You know, he left when he was super popular, and I think, as you said, you know, that tide is shifting where people really respect him. I think they realised he wasn't in it for the ego and he wasn't there just to be loved forever and he didn't overstep his kind of mark. I think, to me, he's always said to me, like, a good trader knows, you know, when to hit the bid. And at the same time, to me, that's always just resonated, like, there's always a right time to make the decision mm. and you've got to move fast and you've got to do what you think's right. Yeah. And for him, I think, he felt like he'd got us through the recession and... You know, that was what he was really interested in. and yeah, Everyone talked about it being a rock star economy here in New Zealand. Yeah. That was the phrase that was used. Yeah. I I loved your dad as Prime Minister from a uh, the perspective of a commercial radio broadcaster. Like, he'd come in for a chat, he'd be up for anything. And that was something that he, he did get quite a bit of you know criticism for, I guess, in his time. Like, people would call him a goofball or whatever. Yeah. Did you, did you ever, like, tell your dad off? Like- oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the time. And that's what I'm meaning, like... <laughs> Imagine you're 15 and like dad's doing all the, and everyone's like, oh, you must have thought it was so cool. I was sitting there like, this is so embarrassing. Like, you know, I'm just trying to fit in at high school and I had dad doing like, 
I don't know. Like, well, I remember like, when he did like, that, the, the, the Christmas uh, thing with you guys. Oh, yeah. That was, was a shocker. The flip side of that, what was he like with you? I, I'm guessing like you sort of lost your dad for like a, a really crucial and important decade of your life. Yeah, well... I mean, I'm sure he would have been there as much as what he could, but... Yeah, I think that's where I have like conflicting views on it. You know, there was a phase a few years ago where... I don't know if resentment's the right word, but, you know, I did feel kind of angry at him because, you know... My sister moved away and, you know, it was just me and Was mom. this while he was Prime Minister or... Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, and so for me, it was... Like, I did find it really hard. And I think what I found really tough was it was... I found it hard talking about my mental health because, you know, it's like first question on here, you're saying, oh, what's it like being a rich kid and what was it like this? And that's the scrutiny I'm constantly under. So then when I sit yeah. there and go, oh, I had a tough upbringing. Our culture's so like, oh, but you lived in a big house and you got toys. But to me, it's like that doesn't make you happier. If anything, I think finding happiness is harder because you have a lot of the things that most people spend their life just trying to achieve. But when you've got that all, you actually have to find purpose. And But it's hard to sit there and complain about that because people go, why, I'm sleeping in my car. And you're like, well, yeah. It's a, I found it really complicated to yeah. ever talk about it because say I sit there and go, I had a hard upbringing. Because I, I think I did have a hard upbringing. Not in a, I feel sorry for myself, but... It was a very complicated upbringing. I mean, everything I did was in the media. I was constantly scrutinized by people. You know, if I put everyone was trying to see my downfall and I was a young kid, young boy, and I made mistakes and everything I did got massively publicly kind of oh, and, and magnified. A, and in a big way. And um, I mean, the only argument I think that people could put up is, well, if you don't like it, don't put yourself out there. But it's like, here you are, you're, you're a teenage boy, you've got an Instagram account. Big well, fucking deal. So does everyone else the same age? And that was kind of because everyone turned and said, well, you elicit the attention. But actually what happened was they were writing all that stuff before I even had an Instagram or before I did anything. And I got to a point where it was all happening anyway. So I got to a point going, I didn't choose this. Like, I'm just in this. So then I was like, why well, may as well just do what I want to do? And I got to a point where it was not like rebellious, but I was kind of like, fuck you. I'll, I'll do what I want. Like, and so I just started doing everything I enjoyed. And then, you know, I was like, oh, I want to be a DJ. So I went and, you know, did that. And mm. everyone sat there and went, you're eliciting the attention. But it was kind of one of those things where it was happening anyway. So I got to the point where I was like... You're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, so I was like, why don't I use it to my advantage? Yeah, sure. You know, and so... Well, it's, I really want to get into this because it's, it's, it's uh, like, it is really unfair. And I've got firm opinions about that. Like, um, poli- I think politicians get, get it... They, um, it's a brutal business. Brutal. Helen Clark before your dad, like there was constant speculation about her and her husband and about him being a beard and it being a fake relationship or whatever. Yeah. Um, when when your dad left, there was there was some rumors rumors yeah, about, about him having an affair with one of his politicians, and your mum basically said the job on me. Now I think it's even worse for Clark Gayford. It's like oh yeah, they, they just, there's the thing about the nanny, and people were on WhatsApp to me saying it's true. Here's a picture of her, and I'm like yeah. As much as we'd all like this to be true because it's so salacious, it's probably not. It won't be, yeah. And then the home detention thing, it's just oh, yeah, no, it's relentless. But I think um, when it starts impacting the kids as well, I think that's a next level sort of situation. Yeah, well, what was interesting about kind of dad's time as prime minister was we were the first family almost in the world where social media was a thing. So social media came in when I was year 13, so 2012. And that was kind of dad got in in 2010. Oh, no, sorry, 2008. And so we were kind of that first generation where there was a prime minister with kids my age where social media existed. Because with Helen Clark, 
you know, social media didn't exist. Didn't right. have kids. The last New Zealand family that had kids was Jenny Shipley. Right. Yeah, that, was, that was way before MySpace and Bebo. Yeah, way before then. So, so the, yeah, the only yeah international comparison that I can think of off the top of my head is probably like Obama's. That case. was literally the only yeah. at the time, like in kind of the Western society, that was the only family with a kid. Because think about most people, like Joe Biden. Obviously, he's. But on the other his end, kids that, are like seven. His kids, yeah, his kids are like older than my grandparents. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I think that yeah. So it, it was quite an unusual thing where, because say with Obama, there's way, 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 way more risk for his family. You know, there's a mm. genuine risk that someone comes and tries to assassinate them. So his kids were way under lock. Whereas Dad was kind of like, I don't want to rob you of your childhood, but at the same time. I know how much pressure you're under. And I was just really like, I'm doing this. And it just got to a point where they were like, okay, we'll do it then. And it almost created this beast that I hadn't, at the time I never knew it was going to become what it became. You know, I kind of just wanted an Instagram and then all of a sudden there were articles and, but yeah, everything you do becomes a news story. Yeah. By the way, depressing for those journalists. Imagine doing three years of journalism school oh. to then just update Max Key's feed and write a story about it's that. so boring. <laughs> I don't know. It's just crazy, like the clickbait. Yeah, like what oh, people. So yeah. So how how? Cause you, I, I mean, I follow you on social media now, and you you seem to have a fantastic relationship with your parents. Yeah. Um, you play golf with your dad a lot. You're out for dinner with your parents a lot. Um, you even do some business stuff with your dad. I, I mean, I'm, so I'm sure he would have always been as present as what he could have been over those years. But what what did that look like? Like a, you see him once a week, phone call every couple of weeks, text every day. Do you mean now or then? No, when he was prime minister. Oh, back he. He'd usually be home on like a Sunday and it was usually like he'd get home at like five or six and then he'd be gone kind of in the morning. So I'd probably see him like once every week or two for some weeks like he wouldn't be home. But where he was really good was he he would do things where, you know, he might literally catch a flight home at 9pm just to like say goodnight, stay the night and then leave in it for him. So at, when I was younger, I was really like, oh, you're never here. But now that I'm older, I'm like, holy shit, like, you know, he really made the effort to try. But again, when you're young, you don't, it's really hard to have perspective on things like oh, that. When, 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 you're, when you're young, I think, um, especially like going through puberty and your teenage years, it's like the whole world revolves around you. Around you, yeah. So if you, your dad's not there, he's spending too much time on his work. And if your prime minister rightfully show you, so you probably should, you take it personally. Yeah, well, I, there was always the joke that he cared about his Blackberry more than like the family. <laughs> Blackberry? <laughs> yeah. that? Blackberry? Yeah, they, they always had two on them. It was like the little burner phone thing. Yeah. So did they um, ever have any hard and fast rules? Like do, you can do whatever you want, but like never, never be seen doing drugs or never do this or or is it just like they just trusted you to have the common sense to conduct yourself in a um i feel like i'm quite morally sound myself like mm. i don't need my parents like i barely drink now like i didn't drink from january till september this year i think i did once for my like best friend's wedding um yeah that's a journey we've got to get into soon the jiu-jitsu journey yeah and i don't know i like when I was at high school, I was very into my sport. I was trying to be like a pro baseball player. And I was, I was, since I was born in Singapore in London, I started school like a year early. I started at four, whereas he started at five. Right. So I was really young for my year. Like I finished school when I was 16. So I think like when I was at school, you know, a lot of the kids were like 18 and getting into drinking and girls. And I like barely had my driver's license. Like, mm. and I was just really focused on my sport. And so that kind of stuff, 
I didn't have that many arguments with my parents about because it just wasn't I wasn't that into it. And then, I suppose if you're a parent, you you ra- you raise your kid right, and then just hope they're going to make the right decisions. Yeah, obviously, I got I went through a phase maybe when I was like nineteen to twenty two where I was like drinking and partying, and but it it's kind of funny. Like I have this really bad reputation of being this like. DJ party boy <laughs> but I'm actually like not loose at all like all my friends think I'm a massive pussy like I never really drink that often like I'm just not not into drugs like it's just not I'm actually not like that I'm actually a bit of a nerd and it's funny because everyone that meets me like I'll meet girls and I'll have to meet the parents and they'll be like oh you really? still a party boy and I've heard about <laughs> you and, and it's really funny because I'm just not like that yeah. but I think I just went through that phase on social media where I was like, I'm going to show all the fun bits. And well, everyone, everyone, everyone does. does it's that. a snapshot of people's, it's that top 5% of people's lives. Yeah. But I think people just wanted to create this image of my head that made them feel better about themselves. Because, mm. I mean, even when I was a DJ, I was working at Jardin, which is like, a, you know, the top brokering, share brokering company in you know, New Zealand. Yes, what, what did you study at uni? I did finance, international business, right. and property. Well, I was working like seven to eight, right. like every day, like crazy hours, you know. And then I'd DJ like on Saturday nights, or I'd do a tour, or and so that was the thing. Was like, you know, I topped classes at uni, like I studied really hard, like tried to be straight A. But I just never, to me, when you're 21, I'm like, who cares about that? So I never posted about that, mm. you know. And there'd always be comments like, oh, go get a job, or like, <laughs> go get a degree. And I'd be sitting there like, well, I've got two and. You know, I've got a job. You know, I'm working probably harder than you. Yeah. You know, but I never, I just got so. You never clapped back. No, nah, I just got so numb to it. I, that was the one thing growing up with it. I'm so like, someone could walk in here and be like, "You're a loser. You're this," and it just doesn't phase me. Like, it's terrible to get to that point. Is it, yeah, it's where, not good. Is, like, you, one thing your dad was um, very good at as prime minister was um, the self-deprecating thing. Yeah, like, and it's. I feel like a lot of New Zealanders. Um, oh, maybe I'm just projecting here from myself but um i did that in radio because you feel like well someone's gonna have a jab at me so i might as well go go in first yeah yeah is that the same for you it still fucking hurts though that stuff see i'm well, you're just numb to it i'm now, so 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 numb to it i mean i think there's exceptions to the rule so if a good friend of mine and someone that i respect calls me out and goes you're being an asshole or you're actually like <laughs> mm. crossing a line 100 percent i'll listen yeah but if some random troll on the herald calls me a loser like well, <laughs> cool like, you know like that yeah, yeah, that yeah. stuff does not have a single drop of impact on me oh that's good that's a good place to be yeah um so yeah because i i suppose i got like a little bit of radio fame like in my it probably didn't start to my 30s i have um, a funny story about that actually. oh really so i came in for because remember every year dad would do christmas yeah He'd bring come in christmas gifts bottle of wine yeah, yeah. But i remember i met um JJ, Mike, and Dom, and you guys signed this like little poster thing for me. <laughs> Did we? Yeah, and I literally used to have it like on my wall. And you used to like, still oh, there. Come yeah, on, don't there. bullshit. <laughs> and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I was always like, oh, I met JJ, Mike, and Dom. Yeah, but um, where I was going with that, it's like, um, so I became sort of exposed, I guess, to that sort of social media trolling or whatever when I was a grown ass man. And mm. here you are, you're in your late teens dealing with it. That's fucking difficult. Yeah, I feel like I. You know, when you're older, you're probably more emotionally emotionally well equipped to deal with it than being a young kid just navigating your way through fucking puberty and yeah. going from being a, a boy to a man. And that's where I think what I was touching on earlier, where I say like I feel like my upbringing was complicated. Like it's not, I'm not sitting here saying it was harder than anyone else's. I just think it was really different. I mean, there's not many people that go through it. I couldn't talk to anyone and be like, oh, how do I deal with? getting abused mm. by 50-year-old men on Facebook. Like, you know, <laughs> like, 
everywhere I went, people would like scream stuff at me, and it was so polarizing. I'd have, you know, people that were like massive fans and would pay to come to my shows and pay to do meet and greets, and people that would try kill me if they, you know, it was like, mm. you know, I'd be getting like literal death threats regularly, and like, so it was just it was it's unbelievable. So with um the death threats, it's like um what what do you do with that? You just hand it to the cops in the camper van in your driveway, and um, or do you just sort of laugh it off? Or um, I mean, most of them are probably loonies, but it's not something that you, you know you can't fucking make jokes like that. Well, if they, it is a joke. They track all that, right? And, like, if someone threatened anyone in our family, it would get sorted very, very quick. Like they they do take that stuff yeah, seriously, yeah. and that you know now there's laws in place that you can go to prison, you know, for that. So they would pretty quickly part of me like work out who said it where it's coming from and you know as you said sometimes it would just be a drunk kid that said it you know and they'd very quickly apologize and kind of take it down but then yeah there were some people where it wasn't a joke mm. um and obviously that got dealt with in different ways but yeah i mean every every threat would get assessed like differently mm. but um yes yeah, so i don't know i guess deal back to your question like on dealing with it i think it was weird i I didn't real. I've kind of gone on like a mental health journey in the last like few years, which I didn't realize how messed up it all made me. Like, oh I, man, it's a lot to unpack. It was it's yeah, crazy. Like I was always like a very happy, chill kid. Like, you know, if you met me when I was eighteen and I was getting abused all the time online, and that was when I had like heaps of hate. And because now I feel like I don't get as much hate. You know, I'm kind of running a business and I'm building people houses, and I feel like I'm trying to do good things now. So. I'm getting like less abused constantly. Whereas back then when I was like a bit of a dropkick DJ, like you could see why everyone thought I was a tool. Like, and I look oh, back no, and no, 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 actually what, you, you can't, you can't think someone's a tool just cause they're wearing a bandana and no shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I can I, see like, but I've got a post here. So this was, um, this was made on, um, your, your 26th birthday. How old are you now? 27. I realized for the last few years of my life, I'd portrayed this party boy dropkick version of myself. That was actually n- not an accurate representation of the person I really am. I hated the way I presented myself and learnt the lessons and negative effects social media can play, blah, 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 blah. Is that being a bit hard on yourself? I think that post is quite complicated. So I took about 18 months off social media like I just didn't didn't post. And I feel like I kind of sat there and I um denied whether I'd ever get back. By the and, way, what was the catalyst for taking that break? Was there like a was there a rock bottom or something? Or? I, if I'm being honest, I had quite a big mental breakdown. Mm. As we were saying at the start of the podcast, I would sit there and go, oh, like I've got rich parents and I went to a private school and I, I shouldn't feel sad. Like I'd, you know, <laughs> like, so much to be grateful for. Yeah, 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 and I'd be like, I guess I was always quite self-aware. So I'd sit there and go, well, why would I feel like this when, you know, I did like community service at school, like there was a big thing at King's. You know, and I saw people like kind of, living on the other side, I guess. I don't know how to say that better. But, and I was very aware. I was like, shit, that, you know, how I can't moan about anything I'm going through. So I I just got to a point where I, my way of dealing with it, because it was so overwhelming, was I would just ignore it. And I got literally so good that I didn't care. And I, like, literally didn't care. Just numbed and out to it. So numb. But I was numb with all my emotions. Like, when I was dating girls, like, you know, I'd struggle to feel love. Like, I wouldn't accept love from people. I, But I was nice. I'm not saying I was, like, an asshole to everyone, but I just had no emotion. Like, I could break up with someone, I'd be like, ah, whatever. 
and I'd want to feel hurt, and then I'd go, but then I'd go through these extremes where I'd feel really upset for a little bit. But I just had this like crazy way of just switching it off, and it was it was bizarre. And I didn't really notice until I got older that it was kind of a problem. And anyway, I went traveling, and it was really weird. It was I'd always been so go go go. So I got diagnosed with ADD a couple of years ago and OCD, which I never knew I had because I've always been super hypo. And they've worked out with ADD that it's not like a disorder anymore. It's more like a brain type. So people that are just very high energy and always go, 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 go. That's kind of, it's more like a spectrum as opposed to like you have a condition because you can't like fix it. You know, it's just, you know, if you're someone that's super high energy, maybe you are on that spectrum. Mm. But obviously it is a spectrum. So there's people where it affects them so much that they can't concentrate or, so I don't have it to like extreme levels or anything like that. But anyway, one thing I didn't understand was I've always kept myself so busy. Like, Literally the day I finished uni, I went from my exam to full-time work. And when I was at uni, I was working while at uni. And I like, if you were like, oh, come over and let's sit on the couch and just sit here, I would like have a mental breakdown. Like, I hate that. I have to be like... Just like an active relaxer. Oh, like, but to like an unhealthy extreme. Right, right. You know, like this morning, <laughs> got up, went to the gym at seven, like had meetings eight till 10, then went to physio, then came here. Like, I'll be busy till the moment I go to sleep and I just have to be like that. I just cram so much stuff in 24 seven. I'm always like, go, 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 go. And so my way of dealing with everything was I was so busy that I just ignored it. And so what happened was I went on this OE, you know, my whole life, my parents have been like, you have to achieve, you have to do this. Like you have to study, you have to get good grades, you have to make money. Like they were so strict on me and like, cause they wanted me to do well, but they pushed me. And then I went from that, you know, working like investment banking, crazy hours, so much pressure, you know, and then all the pressure of growing up with dad, like the social media. And then I'm sitting on the beach in the Bahamas, literally on my own in the middle of nowhere. No one knows me, like just literally nothing. And my parents being like, oh yeah, have fun. And I remember I was sitting on this beach, I started crying and I was like, this is the weirdest thing ever. And I was like, I'm in the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life and I'm miserable. And I like called my mom and I was like, I literally think I'm depressed. I was like, I don't know what it is. But it was it was so confusing for me because I always thought depression was like you sat in your bed and it was dark and you couldn't get out and you wanted to kill yourself. And that was my idea of depression. But I wasn't feeling like that. Like I still wanted to do lots, still, but I just wasn't happy ever. Just wasn't, nothing was bringing you the joy that it should have. No, I just felt numb about everything. Yeah. Like I wasn't like yeah. unhappy or miserable, but I wasn't happy either. And I think what I've now learned since like going to counseling and stuff like that is that um, like with that kind of brain, any big change or being too, not doing anything for too long mm. can really unsettle you. And so I, my whole life, I've just been like, you know, I was always oh that kid God. that played like three sports and went to school and had friends and did this and that and just so go, go, go. Like I'd have a friend round and I'd leave and I'd be like, oh, let's call another friend or let's, let's go to my mother. You know, like always wanting to like do stuff. And so, you know, then I was like, I want to go travel by myself. And I don't know, it was just weird. And so I really remember I sat on that beach. I had my phone and I was like, I need to do something about this because I was like, this isn't like good. So I called my parents, had like a big chat and, you know, they were kind of like, oh, maybe you should come home. And I was like, nah, I think, think I want to like ride this out. I just started writing this thing on my notes and it was literally like, I'd never kind of worked out what I wanted because my whole life I'd been in the spotlight and doing all these different things. And 
I think I sat there and I realized like, I was only doing investment banking because dad did it. Mm. And he told me about it and it was cool and he'd been successful. And like, I was good at that stuff. Like, I'm good with numbers and, you know, I handle pressure really well. And I kind of went into it though because like he did it in a way. I wasn't like literally like, I want to do it because dad did it. But, you know, it was just something I'd always been like, I'm going to be. Yeah, I suppose you follow. It's quite common for people to follow in their parents' footsteps. Yeah. But I just found like I was in there and everyone's like, oh, your dad was the best trader and he was this. And, you know, so then, you know, I was like, oh, what does everyone else think is kind of cool? And I was always really into music and, you know, DJing was popular. And I was like, oh, let's try this. You know, I kind of felt like I was doing, I had no identity. Hmm. Because I was always John Key's son. And I was like on this massive quest to try to be Max Key. And sorry, about 25 minutes of this podcast has been asking questions about your old man. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's all good. But that that was what I found so tough. And that's why I loved the DJing. Was because for the first time I became Max Key. And everyone thought I was so into the publicity and this and that. But it's actually not the psychology of why I loved it. To me, it was like, I was me. I wasn't, oh, this is John Key's son. It wasn't like, oh... You know, I finally had, like, I was my own name and I had mm. my own thing and people and, knew me for that. And I looked at your, um, the uh, original stuff you did. I looked that up on Spotify yesterday. Your most successful songs got over a million listens. Yeah. Now, what, no mean feat. Yeah. So, I mean, it, that was the thing. Like, it all, like, did all good. You know, I didn't, you know, a few of those kind of got to, like, number one on Spotify for a little bit. And, you know, I'm not sitting here saying I'm, like, Kelvin Harris. Or anything, <laughs> David Guetta. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I... No, 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 I, but by, by New Zealand standards. Yeah, like I always put 100% into everything I do. So I, like, I felt like the quality you know, of everything I did was, was solid. But I think, yeah, when I was like sitting in the Bahamas, I started basically trying to work out. I just wrote this list and I was actually like, what do I as Max Key actually want out of life? Like what do I want to achieve? And what are some things that I want to do? And what makes me happy? And it was so weird. And then from that moment, I was like, I need to get off social media because I need to stop showing other people what I think they want to see. And I was just like, I'm just going to get off. I just got to a point where I was like, I don't care if you like my stuff. I don't care if you think I'm having fun because I'm going to go have fun. And I was like, I don't care. And that's why I stopped vlogging and doing all this stuff because I was like, all the fun I was having, I was never filming. And all the stuff I was filming, I was forcing. And it wasn't actually the stuff that was really fun. And people would go, wow, that was amazing. And I was like, nah, the actual amazing thing was when I met this person or I did this. But I didn't film it because I was having so much fun, I didn't do it. And so I just got to a point where I was like, I think with the OCD, I get so obsessed with things. So I just became obsessed with like wanting to be better. I think that's an ADD thing as well, like hyperfixating. I get so hyperfixated. Yeah. And so I created this rule for myself where I was like, every time I was going to use social media, I read a book, like an e-book. And I ended up reading like 53 books while I was traveling. Wow. And then I got like obsessed with reading and seeing I'd read every night. And <laughs> That's like the worst OE ever. I know. Your parents are probably like, oh no, Max is probably out doing coke tonight. <laughs> no, he's in his hostel on his Kindle. Nah, so I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still like went out and like I still had heaps of fun while I was traveling. But say like I was on a train and I would normally just sit there scrolling Instagram for two hours. I'd just like read. Oh, the zombie scroll. Yeah, it's a, it's a trap, isn't it? Well, I just realized how much time I was wasting. Mm. And like, you know, I'm not sitting here saying I was reading like five hours a day and completely like but it was just like when i'd be sitting at an airport or on a plane or you know i'd do a kentucky yeah. and it'd be a seven yeah. hour bus ride i might read for an hour and i couldn't believe how much stuff i you know and so then it just created this thing where i was like i just became obsessed with like learning about myself and so i started i always tried breaking down to three different types so i'd always read like a psychology book to try like 
understand what makes you tick yeah and then i'd always read like a business book on like a mentor i liked so like maybe elon musk's book or like phil knight's book or and then i always yeah shoe dog such a good book and then my final thing would always be just something i enjoyed just so it would be something more like fun Mm. to break it up because some of the psychology books can get a bit (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't sound like fun (laughs) nah nah but to me i just got so like fixated on spending all my time learning and just growing and trying to be better. Yeah, well, there's a great book called, um, you, you've probably even read this one or read bits of it, Atomic Habits. Oh, I read that, yeah. And it talks about like whether you do like little good things or little bad things that's going to take you, take you either on an upward trajectory or a downward trajectory. Well, and that's what I was meaning about, like, say, with the reading. It might only be 10, 15 minutes a day. But, yeah. you know, I was traveling for 18 months and I had no job. So I had, you know, an hour, two hours a day where I wasn't doing much. You know, and so that's where I started doing all this. And that's why I read so much. It wasn't mm-hmm. actually like... I was doing anything freakish or weird. I just was using my time kind of wisely. Yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So you're on the beach in the Bahamas. You call your parents. You say, oh, this, this fucking sucks. If you can't be happy swimming with the pigs, when are you yeah. um, So when, like, so I'm guessing that was sort of like rock bottom or that was the moment of, of realisation where you thought, I've got to do something about this. Um, so like, when did you start therapy and when did that, how did that journey look, look like for you? Um, so I only, that only happened. Like when you were back in NZ? Yeah. So I was only three months into my OE when the Bahamas thing happened. I was maybe only like two and a half. Right. But it all kind of makes sense in hindsight because that was exactly enough time where I had kind of switched off. I wasn't stressed. I wasn't busy. You were forced to slow down. I was forced to slow down, actually. like it was, And that's kind of like, it was almost like this big water balloon and then it just went boom. Whereas my whole life, as I said, like I was so busy that I could just, you know, it's like imagine if you kind of had a breakup and everyone's like, oh, just go be busy. It's kind of like that, like. I just distracted myself my whole life. But that's the thing with emotion is that it has to come out in some way. You know, you can't just no one... Because I was like, oh, I'm so amazing with stress because I would never get stressed. And if I got stressed, I'd be really calm. But then I found out I was stressed 24-7. So when I was stressed, it wasn't doing anything to me because <laughs> I was already... You're always on hyper alert. Yeah. Yeah. And there's... I think... It's interesting because people sit there and go, oh, that means you're pulling your hair out every two seconds. And it's not like that. It's just that I was always busy, you know, like. But that adrenaline state, it's not, it's not a good state to be in nah, for that not sort of duration. No, nah, it's terrible for you. And so, um, yeah, so I guess I came home and I'd always known there was something a little bit weird with me. Like if you ask anyone that knows me, like if you ask anyone that actually knows me, not claim they do. 
how would you describe Max Key? I guarantee they'd all say intense. <laughs> That's kind of like what most people like. Oh, he's intense. Like in a good or a bad way, you know, that that's just how most, like I'm just full on. Like I talk heaps. I'm always like thinking of stuff like, and so I always knew there was something like a bit weird, not the weird's the wrong word. There was always something I always felt a little bit different, but not different in a way where, cause I have really good social skills. Like I wouldn't be scared in front of girls. And you know, I wasn't like, again, my definition of all these things. Cause I was sort of OCD was you said to be really tidy, but that's not what OCD I have. No, and yeah, well, yeah, how does OCD look like for you? I have quite bad intrusive thought OCD, and I think so. I'm a chronic overthinker, right? So it's really good in aspects of my life. You know, that's why I'm always in really good shape, and I feel like I run my business well, and I've had success like studying, or because I'm always thinking so much and overthinking what could go wrong, that it makes me mm-hmm. fixate on that stuff. But then, say when I have a girlfriend or I have good things in my life, I overthink all the bad things that could happen. And I almost like self-destruct. And that's kind of the negative side of it. And that's when I got older, I realized. Whereas when you're younger, like, well, I just played sport. I went to school. Like, maybe I'd fixate on having a bad game. or You know, like, whereas when you get older, you start actually realizing, like, I became like a massive hypochondriac. Like, I'd get a heart palpitation and be like, oh, am I having a heart attack? And I'd, like, Google symptoms of that. What was it? Like an anxiety attack? No, like, I just feel anything in my body. Like, right. I'd get, like, a little pain in my head for two seconds, and I'd be, like... Like, it, I feel, like, stupid saying this, but I got to a point I'd be, like, I've got, like, a like a brain tumour. <laughs> and I would freak out. Or you get, like, Googling symptoms? I'd Googling's Google a terror. Doctor Google's oh, a terrible idea. You know, and then I'd be, like, maybe I should talk to my doctor. But with OCD, you just loop. Yeah. You know, and I'd sit there and be, like, oh, like, what if the doctor doesn't pick up on it? And that's the problem with OCD is there's no answer you just can keep asking the same question over and over and over. And so I did all this my whole life. Like I always asked for reassurance. I'd always be, so like as a kid, I was all, and to bring back to your question, I've always been anti-smoking. Like I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Never will. And as a kid would walk past someone that would smoke. I go like, mom, dad, why is that guy smoking? They'd be like, cause he's addicted. I'd be like, but why is he addicted? And then I'd be like, oh, cause he wants to be. And I'd be like, well, why it kills you? And I'd, and so then they'd, they'd sort that out. And then we'd go 100 metres, we'd walk past another smoker. Be like, Mom, Dad, why is it? And <laughs> we told you. I'd, but, and so <laughs> there was heaps of stuff like that as a kid where they didn't understand that that was like OCD. And I did. I was here. No, because how old were you at the time? Because I feel like it's common for kids to ask a million questions of their parents. And so that was the thing. So it was when I was young. But I would ask, like, everywhere I go, like jujitsu, school, you, everyone's like, he asks way too many questions. Because I just get so fixated on... Like, I have to learn. But I do, like, weird things. So, like, say we're in, like, the helicopter once, and Dad was talking to, like, another guy because he's doing his PPL, and they were talking about the engineering... What's PPL? Private pilot. Right, private right, right, pilot license. Yep. And they were talking about, like, the engineering of, you know, the motor. And I sat there and had no value to add to the conversation. I felt like an idiot. And I literally went home and for, like, five hours just studied, like, helicopter engineering <laughs> just in case... You know, like, that's yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And, so as a kid, like my parents are like, oh, he's just inquisitive and he just asks a lot. And so no one really. Oh, so no you one, just never sort of grew out of it like toddlers do eventually. But no one knew, no one thought, because it wasn't like a problem. You know, as I said, it's a spectrum. So I wasn't like incapable of focusing. I wasn't mm. like, I was just intense and everyone just thought I was full on. But then my dad's really intense. So yeah, everyone's like, oh, he's just like his dad. 
And so it wasn't until I got older and I started understanding it more that there were so many things I was doing that were like OCD, which I just had no idea about. Oh, actually, sorry. There's one thing that happened while I was traveling. So I caught the bubonic plague when I was in Bosnia. Oh, my God. What year were you traveling? 1884? I know. So I was the first – I think I was the first person in New Zealand since 1905 to get it. And I, I ate this like – Yeah. It's called Yersinia terror or something. This seems like the worst thing for a hypochondriac to catch. Well, that that's what <laughs> caused the hypochondria. So – and that's what – so apparently when you have like something like lurking or that's like dormant, if you have like a really triggering event, can create the problem. So I was never – as OCD as I like am now, and I was never a hypochondriac. I was a little bit, but never to any extreme. But I caught that, and like, I wouldn't say I nearly died, but I lost like 15, 20 kilos. I was, you know, fainting. Wow. Like, it was all like truly, truly horrific. Like, I couldn't eat food for like. Is there nothing they, they're, they're no vaccine, no nothing they can. No, nah. uh, only like uh, a couple hundred people a year catch it. Uh. Like, it's really rare. And like, I, so that was the problem. I was going to all the. I ended up in hospital like seven times while I was traveling. And every time I'd go, there'd be a list of like 200 things you could have. It'd be like number 200 because no one catches it. And so they were all just like, oh, you're dehydrated or you're this or you're that. And so no one could like fix me. And so that's what caused the hypochondria because I was so nervous. Because, you know, you can tell in your body when something's going wrong. Mm. And, you know, it's got like a decently high death rate. And I was like a really, really fit 24-year-old in quarter. And it absolutely hit me for six. So if you were 70 or 80 in quarter, you can see how it just destroyed you. Like for 18 months, my gut was just ruined. Like couldn't eat. I was throwing stuff up. Like almost got IBS. Like I was constantly getting like gastroscopies. Like, how is this even still a thing? Like they, they, they came up with a, a vaccine for COVID in a couple of years. Yeah, well, it's basically – it's not the exact same as the bubonic plague where you get bitten by like a mosquito, but – if you drink contaminated water that has, I think, copper in it. Right. And then I ate pork that had eaten or drank the water. And so there's like two weird, it's either contaminated water or really bad yeah. pig, like pork that's eaten it. I mean, you, you take that risk when you travel, you know. It's, mm. But I think that's what, yeah, really unsettled me was I didn't know what was going wrong. And I was going to all these specialists and they kept telling me, well, there's nothing wrong with you. But I'm sitting there like there's definitely something wrong. I literally felt yeah. like I was dying. Like Especially was, if you're if you're if you're in, as in tune with your own body as what you were, you know. Then oh, I knew something right. really bad. Yeah. And I'm calling my parents. I'm like, we'll go to the doctor. And I go to the doctor, and they'd be like, there's nothing wrong with you. Drink some water. And so then I finally got to the point where because I was having all these arguments with my parents, they were like, we'll come home and get everything tested. So I literally did every test under the sun. And then that's when they discovered they're like holy, like, you've had this thing called Yersinia. And even my doctor, like, had to Google it because apparently it's the first thing you learn on day one of, like, medical school. They're like, you're never going to need this. <laughs> they start at number 200 and work yeah, their way through. Yeah, and so, yeah, and but it was one of those things where once you've got it, they can't do anything. You just have to kind of go through it. And so the remnants of it all was I became a hypochondriac because I sat there and went, oh, like, what if I died? And so I started getting, like, started freaking out about death. And those fears of death with this thing, were they rational or is that irrational? Well, it's probably the OCD, you know. Okay. It's probably just yeah. the uncertainty of it all. Yeah. And it made me realise just how fragile everything is. And, you know, because I think in New Zealand we do live quite sheltered lives. You know, you don't sit there and, um, you know, you don't really think about... 
the, the fucking plague. No, you don't. Yeah, no. No. I went to see a therapist for, um, for a while. I'm, I'm not in therapy at the moment, but it was um, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but one of the best things as well. And while I was there, I was like, why the fuck did I take so long to embark on this journey? This, this, this therapist said to me one day, when you're, when you're having like ridiculous or irrational thoughts or you're in a critical, your inner voice is going crazy, and you realise you're doing it, pull yourself up and just ask yourself, is this helping? And yeah. it, it never is. But were you, were you able to do that or no? So that that's the whole kind of like therapy process was now I get to a point where I go, is this fact or opinion? And if it's an f- opinion, I just ignore it. And so, is this with, with your own thoughts or yeah, with things thoughts. that you... Yeah. So okay. I'm sitting there and I'm going, am I... Because it started with hypochondria, but then it would, you know, it evolved into like heaps of different... Like anything with uncertainty, I'd start... Yeah, because nothing. But what you realize is nothing in life's uncertain. Like I could be like, "See you next week," but you might get hit by a bus, or I might fall off a cliff, or you know, the world might explode. Who there's, you know, it might be ninety nine percent certain, but there's nothing that's actually certain. Whereas with OCD, you try get certainty about everything, and so you don't realize how many things in life are actually uncertain. And so, I think you just start fixing. Like everyone fixates on different things. So, you know, some people might be light switches. And they go, oh, if I don't turn that off, the house is going to blow up and then I might kill my kid. Or, you know, they, you just start having all these crazy thoughts. Yeah, and, and it seems um, like crystal clear in your mind that that is going to be the outcome, well, as it, irrational as it is. Because it's triggering your, like, amygdala, which is your, like, fight or flight. And so in time you learn, you know, and obviously I have different, I go through different patches, you know, if I'm really stressed or something's really bothering me, I find it harder to manage. But, you know, for quite a while a couple of years now i've been pretty in, in tune with it all yeah so that's good and you're in a good place now what's what's yeah. your like inner voice and a critic like now pretty good yeah i mean i'm still i'm i'm really tough on myself like i have really high expectations of myself and you know i kind of i am a bit of a perfectionist i think um so i struggle to do things in halves you know i'm either really 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 focused mm. on something or i'm not is that a bad that's not a bad thing is that is that a bad thing well this is what or is it just annoying i uh, it's, I had Lisa Carrington sitting in the same chair last week, New Zealand's greatest ever Olympian, and she yeah. she was the same sort of thing. Yeah, like whatever amazing. whatever she does, she wants to do well. Like uh, yeah, you know, there's the kayaking, obviously, um, but even if she's like like cooking a pizza for her and her husband at home, like she Has wants to, to be a, make make it really good. Well, that what what my like counselor said was that almost every highly successful business or sportsman will have some form of thing, you know, because to be that good at something you have to be obsessed but I feel like it's probably healthy or good to have some things that you just shit at and you're happy to be shit at well that's why I started jujitsu <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then you got obsessed and with that and I got obsessed with it yeah, yeah, yeah okay know, uh, alright well let's get into that now so you so you, you it's the most Joe Rogan thing ever so you, you Rogan goes on and on about jujitsu in his yeah. podcast froths about it. Froths it so you was this a new year's resolution or kind of I I was dating a girl last year and we broke up and over summer I was like kind of up north with my parents and just kind of cruising really and I was listening to quite a few of his podcasts and it wasn't necessarily that he was just going on about jujitsu and was like you should do it because to be blunt when you talk about it I actually used to skip those bits because <laughs> I just didn't like I'm just not and like I was never that kid that wrestled with his mates growing up and like I'm not a confrontational dude and it's not stuff that I actually it's not really something I'm that into. You know, my dad was never like that with me. I never had brothers. Like, I just kind of don't... I always loved like ball sports and that kind of thing. What actually got me hooked on it was he goes, the best way 
to constantly be growing and developing your brain because it's kind of like a muscle is to constantly be really crap at something because that feeling of being terrible, it forces you to evolve. And that that's what got me into it. I was like, and that's what he was saying is amazing with jujitsu was he's like, I've been doing it for like 20 years or however long he's been doing it. I'm a black belt, but every day I learn something new and every day I feel vulnerable and every day there's someone choking me out and making me feel uncomfortable. And that's kind of what got me hooked was it was like, what I hate is I feel like I get so obsessed with things that I like suck the life out of them <laughs> and then I feel like I've like cracked it. Yeah, yeah. Like with baseball, I got to a point where I was in the New Zealand team, I was training really hard, I wanted to go to America, but like I was never going to be the next Derek Jeter, but I had already done pretty well like in New Zealand or, you know, I'd get into golf and I'd got to scratch and, you know, I could do... You're not going to be Tiger or yeah, Ryan and, Fox. No, nah, that's the thing. And like yeah. I was playing with like guys like Ryan, you know, I was in that circle and, but I wasn't quite there and so... I, I kind of did that with everything in life where I was like, a, what's the like saying where you're like a master at everything, but a... A jack of all trades, master of none. Master of none, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. kind of like that. Like I was kind of like all around pretty good at a lot of things, but I wasn't like epic at anything. And I think it was because I would get to that point where it was like, I either had to, say with golf, I got to a point where I had to stop business and work if I wanted to compete with those guys that did it full time. So then I get to a point where I'm like, ah... Uh, Something would switch in my brain. I go, I'm not really that into that now. So I, I still play every now and then. I can still do well, but I lose that like that intense passion just to be like insanely good at it, which is what will motivate me. And so, would you, if you do you think if you if you found something that you enjoyed and you stuck with it and you kept at it, you'd eventually like break through and get to that next level? Well, that's where I'm with my business, right? Yeah, and so that's like why I love it so mm. much. Um, and to me, it's something like I see myself doing a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get to the business, but first, yeah, first of all, the jujitsu thing. So you start in like January this year? About February 5th. February. Then before long, you're going like twice a day? Yeah. Two so se- I started. Jeez, you're all, you are all or nothing, aren't you? So, yeah. My parents always make like a joke like that. So what, what is it like, like wrestling on a mat? It's, is it kind of wrestling on a mat? How would you say, for, for someone that's listening to this that's got no idea what jujitsu is, is there a way you could sum it up in a sentence or two? It's like a ground-based grappling system. Um, so in, in competition, you start on your feet. So it's kind of like a combination of judo takedowns with like wrestling sort of. It is light wrestling, but there's submissions. So, you know, you're like arm barring people, knee locks, choking people. But it's what's awesome about it is it's designed so that I could be way smaller than you, but I use your body weight against you. So it's actually entirely practical. You know, every night I roll with guys that, you know, might be 30 kilos heavier than me and I can have a like good spar with them. And I think a lot of fights, especially in New Zealand, end up on the ground. You know, and if someone was to take me to the ground two years ago, I'd have no idea. And that happened to me in Croatia. I got jumped by kind of like four or five guys. Labour supporters, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just got like the shit beaten out of me. And did you actually? Yeah. Well, like a like when they they stole your money, shoes. What did they? They tried to, yeah. Right. Um, and that was another thing that kind of triggered my anxiety. But a completely bit. random thing. They, they they weren't New Zealanders or anything. No, nah, completely random. No idea who I was. And um, you hear about that stuff happening overseas. It's like we were talking before. You, you I mean, you, you have to take when you travel. You have to take calculated risks. Don't well, you? that's the thing. Like and your like, homestay thing where you ate the pork. Yeah. You yeah. Can't. Yeah. I mean, if. If you sat there and went, I'm never going to try anything or do anything different because I don't want, you know. The risk, it's not a life. Nah. And that's the thing. Like, I think the funnest things in life are where 
you know, there is a bit of danger or mm. not danger, but you know, like you have to like try new things. And that's the whole, in my eyes, that's why you travel. I want new mm. experiences. And, um, so is the jujitsu going to be, after having this conversation with you, it's, I can see the way you light up when you talk about jujitsu, but with everything else that's been said, part of me is worried that you're going to get to a year and like, just go, Oh, that's, that's I'm, I'm never going to be the best in the world at it. I'm done. Well, I Do you feel, think you've found your peace with it, where you can just keep, where, where it'll be part of your life forever? Or? Well, that's where I feel. I mean, like I went to World Champs, I didn't win. I mean, it was that was tough because I have only been doing it a short amount of time, and like, the guy I lost to was like five years in. And, yeah, to make to go to the World Champs after doing it seven, eight months, whatever it was, yeah. that sounds remarkable. No, I was pretty stoked, and I did another tournament in Texas that I came second at, and that was like almost as big as Worlds. And um, yeah, so like I, I feel like I've progressed like really fast for. I mean, it's such a humbling sport. Like, I get the crap beaten out of me every night by everyone. You know, and the moment you feel like you're getting a time bit better, you just get smoked again. Um, but to me, I love the mental side of it. I know that sounds, like, really corny, but... No, no. Like, it's bizarre. Say you have some 120-kilo just monster on top of you. Most nights. Most nights, yeah, <laughs> no. like, choking the shit out of you. You learn how to, like last night, I was like in this triangle, which is where people wrap their legs around your neck and they like squeeze it down. It's awful. Like all the blood goes to your head and you think you're going to die. Like, but you learn to just sit there and breathe. And I sat there and because. And come up with it, sit there, pause and come up with a strategy of how to get out of it. Yeah, because it's, it's literally like chess. And that is why I love it so much. That camp I did was the most awful thing I've ever done in my life by a mile. Like, and what was the, how long was the camp? It was five, four and a half months. Right. And I was training 10 till 12, three, oh, six till nine every night. Oh my God. Every that's day. Awful. That's your life revolving around this. Literally. Thing. Well, cause the property market was a bit dead and we were kind of in that transition where I was moving MTK into Stonewood Key. Um, and so it was quite a quiet like period for me. I was still busy, but you know, I, but that was the thing I was working like six till 10 one till five and then I was training six till I had no life mm. I was actually training sleeping eating working that's all I did like no drinking no partying no friends like did you enjoy it though or did you hate every minute of it I loved it did you? like kind of sick way yeah it, it was weird it was awful but it was awesome I kind of said to Sensei I'm like oh I'm kind of keen to compete and he's like oh yeah well I was going to like invite you to Worlds with us this year he's like I think you could do really well but you got to commit to this camp and it's going to be the most awful thing you do and the training was like just brutal, like absolutely brutal. And you know, there were days like I'd be in the car crying and like I couldn't feel my arm and like my rib was sore. Who was in the car? Were you driving just yourself? by myself, like yeah. going home? And I'd be like crawling into bed, like I call my dad or mum, be like, "Oh, I'm in so much pain." They're like, "Well, you're a fucking idiot. Why are you doing this?" You know, like they had no sympathy for me. That's amazing. So I, I couldn't tell you the last time I cried from um, physical pain, like emotional emotional pain, or, or even like happy tears. I'll cry, but really, you you were just like that broken, I, like mentally and physically. Because I'm not a crier. Like yeah. it was just man. Like you do ten rounds of six minutes after two hours of training and a gym workout and technical training in the morning. And it's not like when you're bad at golf and you miss a putt and you feel like an idiot. You're getting choked and there's some guy trying to break your arm and you have a broken rib and then you just suck. Well, you give me a three putt any day. Yeah, and then you yeah, take a four putt. And then you stand up and you've got sensei being like, you're crap, like you need to work hard, you're this, you're that. And you're just like, 
because they're just trying to break you because it's all developing that like mental toughness. Mm. And there were some days where, you know, you'd just be in the car and everything hurt and it's 10 p.m. and it was winter and you're just like, why am I doing this? Like, literally why? Like, and I just got... What kept you at it then? I don't know. That sounds awful. Yeah, well, like, Sensei kind of, like, got us in front of the whole school and he's like, I give him three weeks before he quit. And I, like, you're not allowed to talk. Like, it's very... Oh, yeah, yeah. Master and apprentice. Yeah, yeah, very. And I was like... I'll die before I quit in front of the whole school. Do they have like a bell, like the Navy Cell? Navy Cell nah, no, nah, it's, it's not. It's not that bad, but because not that many people do the yeah, comp, right? But it's very like the whole school knows you're doing the the comp, and you know it's very like the comp squad's like because my sensei, you know, is like one six time Oceania champ, and he's very respected. You know, he's a fifth degree black belt. And, do you think? Um, just going back to him saying in front of the class that he gives you three weeks or whatever. Do you think? Um, You've obviously you've spent more time with them now. You have got more of a relationship. Is part of that psychology? Like he treat you differently to different? Yeah. Um, or would he say say that to anyone? He's very like tough love. Yeah. And so in a weird way, when he likes you or loves you, he's meaner to you. So he, I, I would say, I get picked on more at training, and he's harder on me than he is on other people. Like he has high expectations of me. Whereas there's other people that he's way nicer to, but he probably right, gotcha. cares yeah. a little less. So yeah. it, it, in a weird way, like my dad was like that. Like he was really tough on me. Like our relationship's gotten better, but he was really like that when I was younger. And so, uh, what kinda, was what was your dad like with your your sister? Was it like easier on her? Very different relationship. Yeah, I think that's that's like that with a lot of dads. Though. They they treat their sons differently to daughters. Yeah, very. Like me, me and my sister are like polar opposites. Like, she's, like, blonde hair, blue-eyed, arty, hates the warm. I'm, like, super sporty, like... Just, <laughs> you complain. It's amazing, eh? It's like, a, but I think you find that with any sort of, like, sibling base, it's like, I can't believe we're fucking related. We are so, so different. Yeah, but we are, so like, off. so... Yeah. Because you know how you see some people, and, like, they all three of them look the same? They look exactly like half of the parents. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, that's so sweet. I, like... We couldn't be more dissimilar. So how old you? You're 27. She's older than you. Yeah. She's nearly 30. 30. What's yeah. what's your relationship like? You see much of each other, or you just have like a family group chat that you message on? You've got a family. You're chat. quite close, or not particularly. We go through phases. Like yeah. growing up, I don't think we were, but I think we were so dissimilar that like we had nothing in common, like literally nothing. Whereas now, you know, she'll talk to me about jujitsu, and you know, she'll be interested in my business, and I'll talk about. You know the stuff she's into. I think that happens when you're adults, eh? Yeah, yeah. The like, age gap becomes less and less. Yeah, and I think, you know, we can both talk about like failed relationships, and you know, there's more, there's more in common because yeah. we've got life in common. You know, like we can talk about travel and mm. things we saw, and whereas when you're a kid, it's like, come play basketball with me, and she's like, no, <laughs> no you know, do girl stuff, yeah. yeah, and so and she'd be like, come draw, and I'd be like, I'd, no, like. <laughs> Yeah, so we and we were so different that there was just nothing we could see eye to eye on. Like I loved maths and mm. eco, and she loved art and painting. And yeah, so I think as a kid, like we were so different. Whereas now, yeah, like there's so much more that we. But she lives in London, so I mean, with the time zone, like. But we have a really cool relationship. Like, you know, I might only touch base once a month or every couple of months, but you know, in a proper way. Like, you know, we'll be in the family chat and kind of bounce stuff, but. 
I feel like it's the same with mine. I, I got a sister that lives like three k's away in Point Chev, and I can go for a month without seeing yeah, her. Yeah, you don't see them. But man. you know that the, the love is there. This might be me sort of projecting or imagining myself in your shoes. Was there a time there, like when when your dad was prime minister and you were getting all this heat, that you were resentful that she was out of the country and you were here taking the brunt of it? No, no, I was kind of like. Did, was it then intentional move on her part? By the way, like was she like, I don't, I, I want to bounce. She managed to do, like, there were some bits and pieces where media would, like, she'd do some raunchy art or whatever in Paris, and the paper would pick that up. Mm. But generally, she was sort of out of it, eh? Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't think she wanted to be involved with it. Yeah. To be honest, I was... Were you jealous of that at all? Nah, because I kind of felt like I was, in a weird way, I kind of liked when I copped the heat, because I was like, oh, at least Dad's not getting it. Or, like, at least, I felt like I was helping them out. That's so unhealthy, though. I, yeah. I, such not a healthy way to think. But, it's terrible. Yeah, like, I don't know, I kind of... I mean, it's good. You're good uh, it's nice that you're protective and stuff, but it's... Yeah, yeah. like, I'm super protective of her. Yeah. But, I mean, it's hard, because she's an older sister. She moved away when I was 15. Mm. You know, so I'm not, like, a protective older brother, kind of. Yeah. So I she can look after herself. Yeah, but, like, I would never let people, like, speak ill of her or, you know, anything. Like, like I'm really protective of my family. And so that was kind of the thing, like... A bit of me was like, well, I'm copying the heat anyway, so at least if I'm getting it, like, my mum's not. And, mm. you know, I was kind of like, I am, like, super protective over them, so. Yeah. So you've developed a real thick skin. How's, how's your mum? Is she okay? She's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, she's awesome. She, she, she seems quite, like, quite private. Like, you never hear much about Nah, about she, ha- she hates all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, um, which is cool. I think Dad and I are kind of more like show ponies. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to have to wrap this up shortly, but we haven't even talked about your business yet. So you're a property developer now. Yeah. So it's what's it called? Stone... Stonewood Key. Stonewood Key. What does that mean? Um, so I had a business called MTK Capital. What is that? Max, Max Timothy Key. Okay. Yeah. And so that was kind of just a family business. Well, not... It was designed to be, you know, it was just Dad and I, and, you know, I was kind of running it all, and Dad was putting some, like, seed capital in. And originally when we started, it was like, we had no staff, no publicity, no website. We were just kind of like, oh, who's MTK? You know, no one knew who we were. Like, the media had no idea. And then we got to a point where I wanted to, like, scale things up. And so so that led to discussions with the Chow brothers because Dad knew them through business and through politics. And, you know, so they owned Stonewood Homes, which they bought out of receivership a couple of years ago. The Chow brothers, were they the, um, like the strip club guys? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And so I'm well aware of their previous work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't have the greatest personal brand, but Stonewood's a really great brand. Yeah, why don't they have a person a good a good personal brand? Is it from the from, from the, the being the underworld strip club sort of Yeah, and I scene? think people like in New Zealand can be a bit not like racist, but I think they go, Oh, they're Chinese, they're probably in the mafia and <laughs> triads or Yeah, you know, yeah, like they're these yeah, dodgy yeah. strip club guys. But they're actually not. They're mm. actually just really hard working grassroots businessmen. And that's why I partner with them, you know. I wouldn't put my name on something I didn't... You know, I have massive respect for them. Mm. And, you know, they they bought their family out of massive poverty. And you cannot fault their work ethic. Like, those guys... Like, I thought I was a hard worker. They make me look like an amateur. And that's kind of to, like, full circle back to that post you said that I talked about at the start. Oh, with your reintegration to social media, where yeah. you said, I, I regret some of the things I did on social media. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I posted that. It was more so me being like, you may or may not have thought whatever you want to think about me when I was younger, but here's a line in the sand. And I was younger, I did some things. And yeah, I can get into like what you said, oh, everyone did that stuff, but I didn't really feel the need to do that. I feel like most people can work that out. And so then it was kind of like, that's the line in the sand. 
I'm new me now, and that's why my social media is way more corporate. You know, I don't post flashy things. Like, I don't although do- there was a happy birthday carousel to your mum the other day, and there was a photo there, and I thought he definitely put that there because his rig looks good. Oh, it's you and your mum and dad, and you got you, you got the abs out. Although <laughs> <laughs> that was that Max is thirst trapping. Part of it though is that it's actually my mum just hates like photos. Yeah, yeah. So I actually don't have. That, that many photos with her. Well, I've got them, but there's a lot where she's like, I don't want you to post that. Whereas mm, I'd actually posted cool. that one earlier, so yeah. I kind of knew I could get away with no, it. No, that's cool. But it, yeah, I, I mean what I say, it's like no one's business. I, I think the only thing the, the only thing that you did wrong, and this is something that was out of your control completely, is you know growing up in the public eye yeah. as a consequence of your dad's job, which yeah. is um, incredibly unfair. Yeah. Um, but the business is going good. Obviously, it's been good the last few years. But now we're at the part of the like property cycle. It's like you would have you know this more than me. But it's like very very predictable the property cycle. Like yeah. There's a period in it where anyone can make money, and now we're at the time now where like people sort of get exposed. Yeah, I mean it's like the old saying: you never know who's swimming naked till the tide goes out. <laughs> that's a, I've never never heard that, but that's a good one. Yeah, it's pretty good. Eh? It's been different to the last few years where when you were making money, now we're just doing stuff just to survive for the next few years mm. and then pick it back up. God, I can tell you're passionate about it. Yeah. You're into it, eh? Yeah, I love you it. You love it. Yeah. Um, we're gonna, oh, I haven't even asked you, what's your relationship like with running? Are you, do you run at all? Has running ever been part of your life? I'm a terrible runner, if I'm being honest. You, you've never done it for fitness. You don't enjoy it. I get really, like, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's shin splints. I get really tight shins when I run. And so I've just... You know how some people like I'm sure like you like glide on their feet and it looks all majestic. I am like boom, it doesn't. Boom. I'm like heavy as like it's just not something I'm. I don't. Know. I was always a good swimmer, but yeah, running's never been. Like I like sprinting and explosive stuff, but <laughs> the shorter the better. Well, I'd, I'd always I'd always go through these phases where I'm be like, I'm going to be a runner, like I'm going to get into it, and man, my like I just would get this pain in my shins. I don't know what. I'd, I think I have like. What would Sensei say? Just run through it? He would. And then I, I did that. And then I got to a point where I couldn't really walk. So I don't know. I think I think I have something where my knees hyperextend backwards mm. or something. And that does something to like my ankle. Well, I'm glad I left the run chat to the end. It yeah. was a bit of a dead end, not a lot there. And um, oh, last one how's, um, how's your love life? Are you in a good place at the moment? Are you seeing anyone? Nah, very single. Yeah. yeah. And happy to be single? Yeah, I mean. It, do you find it hard to meet genuine people, or is that something that plays in the back of your mind? I or used can you to, sort them out fairly quickly? Yeah, I, I used to find that. I think now I roll in circles where, like, you know, I meet the right people, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually too worried about that. Um, Are you, have you got, like, because um, you, you seem like a bit of a goal setter and a planner, like, have you got a figure in the back of your mind, like, you, by the time you're 30, you want to be with... Because your, your parents were quite young when they got together, right? Yeah, they met when they were 15 and 17. Right. Well, yeah, that, that's the it's thing. It's a great I, relationship too. Like yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people that meet that young, they just end up growing apart. Well, and that that's what I think my sister and I find hard was we always had this preconceived idea that, you know, you need to be with someone for 20 years and 50 years and find the one. Well, ideally though, I think that's what everyone sort of wants, don't they? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I Half of me loves being single and half of me kind of... Yeah, because you're a party boy. Yeah, I love it. You're that party boy. All up in there, yeah. I part of it's like I don't really have time. Like I found I've been dating some people this year and like I probably you know, I wasn't giving them enough time and you know, my mind would be on business and you know, the jujitsu or I feel like when I was younger I really tried to make relationships work. I would like I've always felt like it's the one area of my life I haven't succeeded in. Mm. 
you know, like I've always done well in business. I've always done well academically in sport, but I've had shocking relationships. Yeah. Well, so, I feel like everything and everyone sort of comes into your into your life at the right time for the right reason. Yeah. So maybe you'll meet a person when you least expect it who's just equally as driven that also doesn't have that much time for a partner. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where it's been hard is I've dated people that are very goal-driven and similar and, you know, sometimes that clashes. And then I've dated people that are really chill and the complete opposite of me. And then when I was younger, I used to hate being single. Whereas now, like I don't even go out or I'm not on dating apps or anything, but I, I'm kind of just like loving my life. Yeah. Did you find that, was that a blessing or a curse to go on like dating apps? Well, half the time people would just think I was like a fake pro. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, like I, I had success on there. Like, like I guess having the public profile helps. But yeah, there must have been a time there where your DMs were crazy. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but now, like, I just don't really elicit that kind of attention from people now. And I, I believe that about you. I know. I believe you're at a point now in your life where you genuinely don't don't care too much about what other people think. Nah. Um, because. Yeah, I mean, that tall poppy thing we talked before, I feel like with you, you're in a lose-lose situation. Like, you set up your own business, and people that hate you are going to be like, oh, yeah, well, oh, yeah, easy to do that when you yeah, dance, John yeah. And then if the business fails, everyone's like, oh, he'll be fine. He's yeah. got his dad. Yeah. You know, so it's like you're damned you if you win. do, damned if you don't. Well, but that's you, why... You gen- you're genuinely not bothered by that now? Oh, not that stuff. I mean, if yeah. I failed a business, I'd be more gutted that my business failed than that some muppet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... The embarrassment factor. Yeah, I don't yeah. care about that. I'd more be gutted, I'd probably lost money at that point yeah you know but no nah, i just think you got to do Live what you life. want in life yeah. you know like i know some guy wants to sit at home and mock what i do or i'm living my life and he's watching mine so mm. i'd rather i to me failure is not actually something i ever like care about i think i think failure is something that um i think the whole world would be a better place if people were less afraid of it and more into embracing it i'm so, so that's grateful. Where you learn the yeah most. i'm so grateful for all my biggest failures yeah like, I know that's like super cliche, but I mean, like driving to that jujitsu room for the very first time, like you, you knew you were you were heading towards a fail. I felt like such an idiot. Yeah, and I was yeah. sitting there. I, I'd never watched jujitsu. Like it's not a great spectator sport because you know it's very technical, and if you don't like, I love it now, but it's still not great. To, like my, if you ask my parents, oh, watch jujitsu, they'd be like, no idea. Like, <laughs> Just um, rolling around with this blue yes, bathrobe yes, on, sweaty other guys. Like, <laughs> I know that's good. There's a saying I really like. I saw this on Instagram. It's it's called the eighteen forty sixty rule, and it's eighteen. Everyone worries about what everyone else thinks about them. At forty, people stop worrying about what people think about them, and just do what they want. And then at sixty, you realise no one was thinking about you at no all. Everyone was just busy thinking about what everyone else was thinking about them. Well, that's actually what I realised. I think when I was travelling was. I got to this point where the first like month I was like to all my friends like every day I'm like oh my god I'm here oh my god I'm here. like and I was like chatting my parents and like because it was so exciting and then it got to a point where like my parents stopped replying to me you know like they might reply like a day later or like kind of ignore what I'd said or, yeah. and I kind of got to this point where I was sitting there, I was like holy shit like my own parents don't really care. I'm <laughs> bored of your travels yeah man. and I'm like so why would some guy I've never met impossibly give a fuck like yeah. and that's literally what got me to the point where I was like, why? Like, I'm like, why do I care about social media? Mm. Because back then I was just doing it not for like attention, but it was kind of just for validation. Whereas yeah. now with social media, like people go, oh, he's back on it, blah, 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 blah. But it like directly impacts my sales. Mm. And dad actually sat me down the other day because he always used to have a go at me for social media. Like he'd always be like, why are you doing this? You're so obsessed with this. Or he was like, isn't this funny? He's like, I used to give you so much shit about this. <laughs> and I used to get so mad at you. And he's like, 
now you're like such a wizard like you just understand it all like you kind of know how to get people hyped and yeah he, he was probably mad at you though like a, a protective parent sort of thing because he knew about the negative consequences yeah totally and he was he didn't see the value in it whereas now i always sat there and went this is going to be the tool we use but even in saying that i feel like social media is dying you know i feel like stuff like this is like blowing up you know like podcasts and yeah that long form conversation yeah. yeah and by the way thanks for coming on today because i've um i i have have you have you been on a podcast before or is this your first one i've done like interviews i guess yeah um like i did one with samantha hayes which was quite like a long form conversation you know yeah. it was like an hour or so but no i've never i don't think i've ever done like a podcast podcast yeah well i appreciate you being here today i yeah. appreciate you being so open and i can honestly say hand on heart like all the times i've met you over the years from the age of what 14 13 14, yeah. to now like you've never been um anything but you know kind and nice and just a good person so well thank you for that yeah and cheers thanks. to having me on it was it was cool i appreciate it thanks max key Thank you very much for making it all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey and Max Key. What did you think? I always love to hear your feedback. I genuinely mean this. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Dom Harvey NZ, or Runners Only with Dom Harvey. I've got two Instagram accounts. Or email me, domharveynz at gmail.com. A couple of quick ones. If you haven't done so already, can you please subscribe to the podcast? This makes a huge difference and really helps to grow this thing. Also, if your podcast platform allows, uh, maybe give it a five-star rating if you like it that much, or a review if your podcast platform allows. Finally, thank you very much to the legends at Radix Nutrition for sponsoring this episode. A lot of work goes into it, and it is made possible thanks to their contribution. I love these guys so much, and I urge you to support the people that support the podcast, and that's radixnutrition.co.nz, R-A-D-I-X. All right, once again, thanks, and hope to see you next week on Runners Only with Dom Harvey. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.